Alright, so this will be our last lesson on uh, Abraham, the father of us all. Um, and we're going to deal with James, chapter 2, um, James' faith and works, because James also uses Abraham as an example. Um, so if you keep in mind, this will be important. In Abraham's life, These chapters in Genesis are important because here is when you have the promise that Abraham will be a blessing. Chapter 15, you have imputed righteousness. Chapter 22 is when he gives a test or a required work or a draw of waiting. Uh, so that's the timeline, if you recall, way back in our first two lessons where we were covering Genesis and Abraham's life. But God revealed things progressively to Abraham, and he changed how he dealt with Abraham. At first, it was just a promise. Let's say Abraham stepped out by faith, going to the land that God would show him. Right? He didn't know where he was going. He was going out by faith right, and expecting God to show him where he wanted uh, Abraham to go. In chapter 15, Abraham says, you know, I have no seed. How is my, um, how am I going to be a father of many nations, right? Be a blessing to the nations if I have no seed. And God promises him, you will have a seed, right? And says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was imputed to him for righteousness. Right? So Abraham believed that he would have a seed, he himself, right? He says, let this Eliezer, who's my servant, let him be the seed. And God says, no, it's going to be your seed. And so a lot of people, when uh, Abraham and Sarah devised a plan to have Abraham go to Hagar to marry her and have a kid by her because Sarah says I'm too old, right? They're saying, well, they're not trusting God. And they weren't. They were trying to do things in their flesh. But God had not yet said it's going to be through Abraham and Sarah, right? At this point, he just said it's going to be Abraham's seed. So Abraham in his mind is saying, well, if I go to Hagar and have a kid with her, it's my seed, right? So I guess that's how God wants me to do it. Um, and it's in Genesis 17, that God says, no, it's going to be through you, but it's also going to be through Sarah, right? Genesis 16 is when Abraham goes into Hagar. So yes, they were trying to act in their flesh, but it wasn't that they were disobeying God and not trusting God, right? Abraham was still trusting in that instance that he was going to have to see, right? He said, maybe it's not through Sarah, right? Maybe i got to marry somebody else to have to see because she's too old, right? Um, and so you have that there where a lot of people put down Abraham, and some for good reason, but again, he was still acting out of faith, I believe, um, because at this point, it was only said it would be through Abraham, right? It's after that fact in Genesis 17 that it's going to be through Abraham and Sarah. But Genesis 17 is also when you have the covenant of circumcision, and God says every man-child has to be circumcised if they want to be in this covenant, and if they're not, they're going to be cut off, right? And so Abraham in Genesis 17 obeys the Lord. He is circumcised, Ishmael is circumcised, every servant in his house is circumcised. Um, and then Genesis 22 is when God gives a test to Abraham and says, you have to offer Isaac, right, your son. Uh, you have to offer him, you have to uh, offer him as a sacrifice. He said Abraham believed the Lord in Hebrews that, well, if I kill him, God will resurrect him from the dead because God promised it would be through Isaac, right? And so you see that test, that required word that God gave to Abraham. So it's progressive through Abraham's life. He was 75 years old, I believe it says in Genesis 12, when he left Haran to go into the land that God showed him. And he has Isaac uh, when he's 100 years old. So that's 25 years, you know, in this timeline. So it's not like it just happens, you know, over a few months. It's years. 
circumcision before Isaac? Yes. The birth? Yes. Isaac is born in Genesis 21, I believe. And so what you have here is, uh, again, a timeline that's going to be important for the lesson today that you need to keep in mind. Um, but if you go to James, uh, the book of James, we're going to be in James 2, uh, as well as some other passages. Uh, but the audience of the book of James is clearly stated in James 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes that are scattered abroad, greet So James very clearly tells you who he's writing to. Uh, he is writing to the 12 tribes. Well, is this the 12 tribes of the body of Christ? No, we know it's the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? There was 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. That's who uh, James is writing to. And he says the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Um, this likely means that James is writing after Acts 8.1. Uh, because in Acts 8.1 it says Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. All right, so you had Jews that had trusted in Christ Jesus. They scattered out of Jerusalem uh, at the persecution of Saul, right, which is, of course, Paul. When Paul was uh, persecuting the church there in Jerusalem, uh, the little flock, a lot of the Jews scattered abroad. Right, they left Jerusalem, uh, it says, except the apostles. Right, well, James was an apostle. Right, uh, and so he's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. Right? So he's writing to those Jews that had scattered out of Jerusalem. Uh, so that's uh, who uh, James is writing to, right? 12 tribes that are scattered. Um, there is controversy over who and when this book was written, uh, but most attribute it to James, the brother of Jesus. Um, so if you look at Acts 12, 17, so there are different James in your Bible. There was James, the, one of the 12 apostles, the brother of John, um, and he is killed in James 12, verse 1, where it says, At that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So this was James, the apostle of Jesus Christ, one of the twelve. But notice Peter, after he is released from prison, so after he kills James, after Herod kills James, he saw where it pleased. Uh, please the Jews or the people and so he puts Peter in prison and he's going to kill Peter as well and so God miraculously rescues Peter out of prison and Peter comes and uh, knocking on the door it said they had opened the door and saw him they were astonished but he beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace declaring to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and he said go show these things unto James and to the brethren who he departed and went into another place so James died in 12 verse 2. So this is a different James in James 17. Uh, and it's interesting, you see throughout the book of Acts, James, the brother of Jesus, kind of takes charge of Jerusalem. Right? James the apostle is dead. This is James, the brother of Jesus, there in Acts uh, 17. Uh, and he is who most people say wrote this epistle. You see him take charge kind of in Jerusalem. When Paul goes back to Jerusalem in Acts, I think it's 21, James greets him. Right? So James, the brother of Jesus, that greets him there. Um, in Galatians 1 9, this might be 119 actually. Yeah, 119, he says, But other than the apostles saw I none save James the Lord's brother. So that's James the Lord's brother. Paul says when he went to Jerusalem the first time, uh, he saw Peter and he saw James the Lord's brother. So you kind of see Peter and James. This isn't James the apostle, this is James the Lord's brother. He's kind of in charge there with Peter. You see that there in Jerusalem. And then in Galatians 2, verse 9, it says, When James, Cephas, and John, so many people might think, well, James, John, and Peter, of course, that's the three main ones you see in Jesus' ministry. Well, James, that apostle, the brother of John, is dead. Right? Galatians 2, 9 is a cross-reference to Acts 15. Right? And we saw in Acts 12, 2, that James, the apostle, died. So this James here, again, would be James, the brother of Jesus. Right? So it's the different James. So is that confusing? James 2.9. Uh, Galatians 2.9. Oh, okay. Yeah. When Paul says, when James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars, right, perceive the grace that was given to me. So the point being, James, the brother of Jesus, was a pillar. Maybe he took the other James' spot after he died. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but he was a pillar. He was the leader there in Jerusalem, right? So he's writing this epistle to those that were scattered, um, encouraging them. Uh, so that's who most attribute 
this to be, this that James, James the brother of Jesus. Um, but James, in his book, especially here in chapter 1, he has an emphasis on performing righteousness. Uh, so if you look at James 1.16, he says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Uh, so he's encouraging them right, to not err, right? It's not to err in their actions. Um, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begotten us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of fir- first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So he says, be slow to wrath, because when you act upon wrath, you're not doing the righteousness of God. Do you see that emphasis there, right? Don't err, my beloved brethren. Don't be quick to uh, give wrath, because when you're acting out of wrath, out of passion, right, you're not thinking clearly, you're not going to be doing the righteousness of God, right? You're going to be sinning. Uh, he says, therefore, lay apart uh, all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So he says you've got to lay apart all superfluity and naughtiness. And then he says, but be you doers of the words and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Right? So he's encouraging them, you need to be a doer of the word. Uh, if you drop down to verse 25, it says, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So notice what he's saying. The word is that you're hearing that you need to be doing. It's the perfect law of liberty. Right? He's saying the law. Right? When you hear the law, you need to do it. And those that do it will be blessed in that deed. So he's teaching keeping the law. Right? Um, if you look at James 2, 8 through 13. He says, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do, you do well. So he's saying you've got to fulfill that law, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak you, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. So notice there, he says, you need to speak and do, as they that will be judged by the law of liberty. So if you break the law, you're going to be judged. Well, you need to keep the law. That's what he's saying, right? You need to do and say, as those that keep the law, right? Those that are going to be judged by the law. Uh, So James has this emphasis on performing righteousness, on keeping the law, right? On doing works, so you get to verse 14, which is where James starts to deal with this justification by faith and works. Right? He says, What doth the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? So James here, he asks two questions. Right? He says, What is the prophet of faith without works? So notice that. What doth the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? So you say you have faith, but you don't have works. What is the prophet there? Um, if you look at Matthew 7, there's a lot of cross-reference between James and Jesus' earthly ministry and the teachings of Jesus. And you should know that Jesus himself, like James is writing here to the 12 tribes of Israel, says that Jesus was a minister of the circumcision. Right? Jesus' earthly ministry was to Israel. In Matthew 7, 21 through uh, 27, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So again, this is the same thing that we just read James saying in chapter 1, verse 25, right? You don't need to just be a hearer of the law, but a doer, right? A hearer of the word, but a doer as well. Jesus says the same thing. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which put his house upon a rock. Right? But those that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, right, will be likened unto a foolish man. So 
it's almost like James is quoting right from Jesus. So there's a lot of cross-reference from James and the ministry of Jesus. But James asks this question, what profit is faith without works? Can faith save him? And so some good examples here of what Paul, uh, James could use, he could use Noah as an example. Right? Noah could say, oh, I have faith in God, and I believe he's going to send a flood. Or would that have saved him from the flood in and of itself? The answer is no. He would have drowned. Right? He had to do a work and build a boat. Right? I said, if you want to survive, build a boat. Right? So Noah could say, oh, I have faith in God. Right? You're going to send a flood. I believe you. But I'm not building the boat. Right? What profit is that? What profit is Noah's faith in that instance? There is no profit. Right? You have to have that work. Right? That would be a good example here. Um, Noah. Um, so you can see that all throughout the Old Testament where people are told things and they have to do something if they want to be saved, right? Uh, David and Goliath. David can say, oh, I have faith that I can kill this giant. Well, unless you pick up the stone and go out there, David, you're not going to kill him, right? Yes, it's good you have faith in God, but without the works, there's no profit, right? Um, so you have instances all throughout the Old Testament uh, that you could use here. However, it's interesting, Paul says, yes, there is, uh, yes, faith can save him. Right, so James is trying to say, faith alone can't save you, right? He says, what profit is faith without works? Can faith save him? Uh, Paul would reply and say, yes. So if you go to Romans 3, verse 22 through 26. Paul says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare the righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of them which believeth in Jesus. So nowhere here do you have faith in works. It's Faith, right? Justified freely by his grace, right? Faith in his blood, right? His righteousness. Um, so Paul would say, if James said, Paul, can faith save you? Paul would say, yes. It's faith in Christ and what he did. Uh, if you look at Romans 4, 23. Paul says, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. So if you remember, a few weeks ago, we covered Romans 4. It's talking about Abraham's faith, right? When it said in Genesis 15, 6, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Paul says that scripture isn't just for Abraham, but it's also for us today. Uh, that's what he says. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith and works, no, it's just by faith, right? We have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? So our faith... And Christ's death and resurrection makes us justified and have peace with God, is what Paul teaches. Uh, if you look at Galatians 2.16. So again, it's just not one or two passages in Paul's epistles, it's all throughout. Paul's epistles, he says, uh, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So Paul says it's by faith, not by works. And by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Galatians 3.11, but, uh, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident that the just shall live by faith. And he's quoting the Old Testament there. He says the Old Testament says the just shall live by faith. Right? And so Paul teaches, yes, you're justified by faith. James says, can faith save him? Paul says, yes. Faith in Christ's death and resurrection you can be justified by faith in that. Um, so you see here, off the bat, a contradiction between Paul and James, which we will get into. Uh, James 2, 15 through 16. So James continues here. He's asking this question, this pray, uh, faith prophet without works, can your faith save him? Um, and so he gives an example here. He says, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warned, and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? So he gives an example here, right? If someone comes to you, they don't have any clothes, they don't have any food, and you say, hey brother, I want you to be warm and have clothes, and I want you to no longer be hungry. And you say, have a good day. 
Is that person going to have clothes and food based on you telling them you want them to have clothes and food? No, you have to give them clothes and food, right? You have to take action. You can't just say, oh, I want you to be clothed and filled. It's good that you want it, but you also have to do something about it is what James is saying here, right? Um, you can't just say something and make it come to pass. You have to take action. Um, again, you see this, uh, if you look at Luke 3, John the Baptist teaches here to uh, the leaders in Israel. Here in Luke 3, 10, 11, it says, The people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And he answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him depart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. So this is a teaching that you see even in Jesus' earthly ministry where he talks about giving clothes to the naked, giving food to the hunger. Right? You need to take care of those who have need. First uh, John three seventeen through eighteen. He said, "But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him?" My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So you see John the Baptist teaching it, John the Apostle teaches it. He says, very similar, right? It's not true love if you say, oh, I see that person has a need, and I have what he needs, but I'm not giving it to him, right? He says the love of God is not in you, right? You can say you have the love of God, but it's not in you, like you're a liar. That's what he's saying. Um, you have to actually take action and do the works, right? That's the teaching there. And so back to James 2, James asked the question, can faith save him? He gives the example, if someone comes to you, need a clothes and food, and you say, I want you to have it, but don't give it to them, right? He's saying it's pointless. And that's what he says. Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead being alone. That's what he says in verse 17. So James answered his own question. Can faith save him? No, faith without works is dead uh, because it is alone. Paul says in Romans 4 verse 5, says in verse 4, Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So notice the difference here. Paul doesn't say to him that has faith and works, it's to him that works not. But believes on him, right, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So Paul says if you want justification, if you want righteousness, you can't do works for it. Right? It's to him that works not for it. Uh, whereas James says, if you don't have works, your faith is dead. Uh, so again, you see a controversy here. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we know, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of works, it is the gift of God, uh, that any man, lest any man should boast. Right? So uh, Paul teaches, you're saved by grace through faith. Uh, Titus 3, verse 5. Says not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which is shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So again, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, right? Shedding on us abundantly uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that we can be justified by his grace. So again, you see his contradiction. James says, faith without works is dead. Paul says, to him that works not, but believes. His faith is counted for righteousness. Uh, so a clear contradiction here. Uh, we continue on in James 2, verse 18. Uh, James says, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, and the devils also believe and tremble. So he says, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Uh, this is why people say James, a lot of people say James was written later um, 
than what I just said about being between Acts 8 and Acts 15. Uh, they say it was written much later because James is responding to Paul. Right? And this is kind of the common, I guess, interpretation of James 2. They try to say James and Paul are saying the same thing. Paul was talking about salvation, but he said, yeah, you don't do work for salvation. A lot of people teach that. But James is saying, whoa, 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 now. Yeah, you don't do it for salvation, but if you don't have any works, you aren't truly saved. Right? Which is to say you have to do some type of works to be saved is another way to say that, right? Um, so people get confused by this, right? But that's why people say it was written later because they say, oh, it's clear James is responding to Paul, right? Paul says it's to him that works not. Now James is saying, well, yeah, you don't work for your salvation, but if you don't have any works, your face is dead. You didn't really truly believe, right? That's uh, how most people teach this. Um, I would say that James wrote this before he knew Paul's mystery, Right? So he probably wrote it early in Acts, after Acts 8-1, but before, probably Acts 13, before Paul started his public ministry there. Um, and so Paul, uh, James is writing ignorant of what Paul is going to write in Romans, right, because he wrote it before that. He wrote it before God revealed the mystery to him, right, or before he knew it from Paul. Um, but James says here, to show your faith without works, which is not possible if your faith is in a covenant. Right? If your faith is in a covenant, in a law, in a covenant of works, then it's impossible to show your faith without works. Right? Again, the example of Noah. Noah's faith was in God, that God was going to send a flood and save him by putting him on the ark. And so Noah can say, oh, I have faith. But if he doesn't build the ark, he's showing you I don't actually have faith. Right? Because what is this faith in? This faith is in the fact that I need to build this ark if I want to be saved, because that's what God said. Right? So we'll look at a few passages here. If you look at John 14, again, going back to Jesus' ministry, James and Jesus are very similar in their teachings. James 14, verse 15 through 21, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth from the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, and ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So notice here, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And in verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. So notice, if you want to be loved by the Father, you have to love Jesus. And how do you love Jesus here? Keep his commandments. All right, that's what he says. Um, if you look at John 15, 8 through 14. He says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Well, how do you bear fruit? Fruit is the works that you do, right? Um, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. So again, if you want to have the love of the Father, you have to bear much fruit and keep my commandments. If you want to be my friend, you have to keep my commandments. Uh, so again, same thing James is saying, right? Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. I'm going to show you that I love God because I'm keeping his commandments. Right? Uh, look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So this is the so-called Great Commission. But a lot of people don't really uh, focus on verse 20. Right? They focus on verse 19 that says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. But notice verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. 
So what do you have to do to keep this commission? You have to teach them to observe all things that Christ had commanded his apostles, right? During his earthly ministry, which is, if you love him, you better keep his commandments. If you want to be his friend, you got to keep his commandments. Um, Matthew 5. This is a command of Jesus that you would have to teach other people to do if you want to keep the Great Commission. Uh, Matthew 5, 18, he says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them uh, shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So again, you have to teach and do these commandments, and if your righteousness doesn't exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, who were the people that taught the law, right? He says you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. This is a teaching of Jesus Christ that he taught his apostles, and then he says, before he leaves, go into all the world, right? And teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. If you look at Matthew 23, verse 1 through 3. It says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Um, so you might wonder who the scribes and Pharisees are. The Old Testament tells us, if you go to Nehemiah 8, it would be important to know who the scribes and Pharisees are to know what Jesus is saying here. Nehemiah 8, verse 4. It says, Ezra the scribe, so Ezra is a scribe here, he stood upon the pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Ananiah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Messiah on his right hand, and on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael and Malchiah and Hashem and Hashbadaniah, Zechariah and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their heads. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Uh, verse 8, it says, So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave assent and caused them to understand the reading. So Ezra, being a scribe, gets up in front of the Israelites with these other men, and they open the book of the law and cause them to understand the law. Right? That's what scribes did. Right? They taught the law and caused the people to understand it. If you look at Malachi 2, verse 7. Priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Right? So the priests are those who keep the law, right, and seek the law and speak it. They're to have understanding and knowledge in the law. And so when Jesus says in Matthew 23, uh, that we just read, uh, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Right? Well, what did Moses do? He gave the law, right? So what Jesus is saying here, he says those that sit in Moses' seat, whatever they tell you to do, you need to do it. Right? Well, they taught the law, and so scribes and Pharisees did. They were teachers of the law. So Jesus says, do what they tell you to do, because they're telling you to do the law, you need to do that. He says, just don't be like them, for they say the law, but they don't actually do it. Which would be James' point here. You can say the law, but if you're not doing it, what good is it? Right? Uh, so again, a lot of cross-reference between... Uh, Jesus and James. Um, but James is writing to people who believe in God. So notice back in James 2, he says, You believe in God, you do well, but the devils believe and tremble, right? Uh, he says, Thou believest that there is one God, 
thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And so in the law, in Deuteronomy 6.4, they taught, right, the Lord our God, he is one Lord, right? Israel believed in the one true God. Well, James is talking to people here who apparently believe in one God, right? He says, you do well. It's good to believe in the one God. He says, but the devils believe and tremble, right? Satan believes in God. He believes he exists, right? But he doesn't do what God says, right? He rejects God, right? He disobeys him. Um, and that's Paul's point here. Uh, that you can't just believe in the one true God, right? And that's true for us today under grace, right? You can't just say, oh, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe there's just one God and be saved. You have to know who he is. You have to understand that he came in the flesh, right? His son came in the flesh, died on the cross for your sins, and resurrected, said you got eternal life. You have to have faith in that, right, to be saved. Uh, the same was true for Israel. In John 20, 30 through 31, John said he wrote his books so that you can know Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Right? Israel had to trust in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, right? as the one that filled the prophets. So you couldn't just believe, oh yeah, I believe in the one true God. Right? There's other things that you have to believe to be saved. Uh, and so James' point here is, yeah, you believe in one true God, but if you're not keeping his law, if you're not doing what he said, if your faith doesn't have any works, right, uh, it does nothing. You're just like the devils. right? They believe in tremble. Um, and so looking at James 2, 20 through 24, uh, he says, but, what, uh, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. And so this is uh, James' uh, example here for Abraham. Um, notice in verse 20, he says, Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? So notice he calls those who say, Oh yeah, I have faith. Yeah, I just have faith in God. He says, You're vain, right? That's empty. That does nothing for you, is what he's saying. He says, You're a vain man if you have faith without works, right? Because your faith is dead. Uh, but he says, Abraham, our father, uh, was justified by work. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works? But notice what he says, when he had offered Isaac upon the altar. So this is where our timeline comes. When did that happen? Right? When did Abraham offer Isaac? So that was here, right, in Genesis 22. So that's what James, uh, that's his example of Abraham, is Genesis 22. That's what he pulls from to use Abraham as an example. He says, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And so James is saying that this event here fulfilled that. So he's almost saying, like, yeah, God said Abraham was righteous here, but that was like a prophecy, and it didn't actually happen until he did the work, right? Because he says, Abraham fulfilled the saying that was said, um, Abraham believed God was imputed to him for righteousness. So again, that happened way back here, and it's after Isaac is born uh, that James is pointing to. Um, so let's look at Genesis 22, 16 through 17, because it is interesting in Abraham's own life. Genesis 22, after he had, was willing to offer up Isaac, of course, the angel of the Lord stopped him. And in verse 16, it says, uh, verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. And as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy sea shall possess the gate of his enemies. So this is very similar to the promises that he was given back here. But here it says, because thou hast done this thing, I'm going to bless you. Which is very much what you have in the covenant. If you do this, I will bless you. Right? If you keep this, I will do this. Right? If then. 
Um, so you can see how Abraham would be an example for Israel at this point in time. Uh, if you look at Genesis 26, verse 5, this is God speaking to Isaac after Abraham has died. And he gives the same covenant to Isaac, and he says, Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. He says he's going to give the same covenant to Isaac because Abraham, your father, kept my commandments, kept my charge, kept my statutes, kept my laws. Um, and so you have that in Genesis 26. Right? He says, because you kept my law. That's why I'm blessing you, Isaac. So you see how uh, Abraham's work is what James is pulling here. In John 8, 39, unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. So he says here, you, uh, If you were the children of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. Well, Abraham, we just read in Genesis 26, kept God's laws, his statutes, his charge, his commands. Right? And that's what he's saying here. If you're the children of Abraham, you would actually keep my law. Right, is what he's trying to tell them. Right, you would accept me as the Son of God. Right, you would believe in me, because that's what Abraham did. He believed in God and kept what God told him to do. Um, but the issue here is what did Abraham believe? Right? Because Abraham wasn't trusting back here. He wasn't trusting in Christ's death and resurrection. Right? He was trusting in the promise that he would be a father of many nations, that he would have a son. Right? Um, and so if you are given that, God can give you things to do later, right? Because you're not trusting in the finished work as we are today. That's why it's different. That's why God can give him a test, a work, a covenant, right? Because he's simply having faith in what God is telling him, and God is revealing things progressively, right? Um, Galatians 3.8, Paul says the gospel that preach, was preached to Abraham uh, was that indeed shall all nations be blessed, right? Uh, that was the gospel that was preached to Abraham, not the death and resurrection of Christ. So looking at verse 22 and 23, James says, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was with faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called uh, the friend of God. Uh, faith wrought with his works and fulfilled, Genesis 15, 6, is what James is saying here. Paul says it is just by faith. Uh, so back to Romans 4, Paul nowhere mentions Genesis 22 when he uses Abraham as an example. In Genesis 4, 3, he says, What saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And then in verse 22, he says, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. And it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. So Paul only uses Genesis 15.6. He says, the scripture says, Abraham's faith had righteousness imputed unto him. So they're both pointing to two different times in Abraham's life. Right? Because things were revealed progressively to Abraham, you can see how they uh, could do that. Uh, so that's how James uses Abraham as an example. In verse 24, James concludes uh, that one is not justified by faith alone but by their works. Uh, Paul does not come to that conclusion, right? He concludes, you're justified by faith alone. Uh, not only does James use Abraham as an example, but he also uses Rahab. He says, even Rahab was justified by works uh, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Right, so Rahab. Uh, if you can look at Joshua 2, you can read that. But we know the story of Rahab. The spies come into Jericho, and they're going to destroy it. And Rahab, the harlot, receives them and says, We've heard of you. We've heard of your God, how he saved you from the Egyptians and did all these miracles for you. I believe, like, y'all are serving the true God, right? She rescues them. The people come knock on the door. She hides them, sends the men away, and then lets them out of the city. Right? They say, if you leave this thread hanging by your door, bring in all your family, and we'll save them alive. Right? Well, she had to do works, right? She couldn't 
She could have just said, I believe y'all are right, the true people of God. Y'all serve the one true God. And when the men knock on her door, she said, oh, yeah, they're here. They're right back there. All right. Well, I thought you believed we serve the one true God. You're not going to help rescue us and save us. All right. You see her works that he's uh, pointing out there. Right. She had faith and she had works to show her faith. Right. Uh, she's also quoted in Hebrews 11.31, right, by faith, Rahab, uh, there in Hebrews 11, right, she is mentioned. And so in James 2.26, this is James' conclusion, he says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Uh, so he makes another, another comparison here, right? Uh, what happens when the spirit leaves your body? Your body is laying there lifeless, right? It's dead. So he says, if you don't have works... Your faith is like that dead body, right? It's worse it's not alive, right? Your faith is dead. And so that is what uh, James teaches on faith and works, right? That's how he uses Abraham in, uh, in Genesis 22, which is when Abraham does a work, right? He says he fulfilled uh, the prophecy of Genesis 15:6. And so you have here James and Paul seem to contradict. Uh, this was also Martin Luther's dilemma, uh, who did make a quote, saying that James was an epistle of straw, right? And that means that he's saying James is pointless. It provides nothing to us, uh, is what uh, Martin Luther was saying. Some people say that he withdrew that quote later on in his life, uh, that he didn't truly believe that. Uh, but Jane, uh, Martin Luther did struggle with James' canonicity, right? He struggled with whether or not it belonged in the Bible because he realized that James taught, you have to have works if you want to be justified, right? And he taught learned that it was a, uh, he saw that it was a um, contradiction between James and Paul, right? Um, Martin Luther believing that you're justified by faith alone in Christ, right? When he read James, he said, this contradicts Paul. Uh, so Martin Luther struggled with this contradiction here. Again, the traditional view is that James is explaining that you didn't really have faith if there were no works, right? And of course, that's the, you will know them by their fruit there in Matthew 7, 16 through 21. Uh, but James says, justified by works. Not that you show you were saved. He says you're justified by works, right? Um, I believe, again, that James wrote this epistle ignorant of Paul. Right? He's writing to the 12 tribes of Israel, whose faith is in the covenant, who he's supposed to teach to do all things that God commanded, right? When Jesus commanded uh, those that sit in the Moses' seat, you need to do what they say. If your righteousness doesn't see the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes, uh, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Right? So you can't just say you believe in God. You have to do the law. Right? You have to keep the law as well. That's what James is teaching. Uh, they both use Abraham as an example, but point to two different times in his life. Paul uh, points to Genesis 15. James points to Genesis 22. Right? Um, this is resolved by rightly dividing and placing the books in their proper context. So James, of course, is writing to the 12 tribes of Israel, as we saw in James 1.1. He clearly says that. Paul, in the book of Romans, is writing to the body of Christ. And so in Romans 1, verse 7, Paul says to all that be in Rome. So he's writing to all that be in Rome. Right? He's not writing just to the 12 tribes uh, that are there, any Jews that might be there. He's not just writing to Gentiles. He's writing to all that be in Rome. So he's writing to Jew and Gentile. In Romans 12, verse 5, he says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Right? He's teaching the doctrine of the body of Christ. That's who Paul is writing to, to those that are in Rome who are members of the body of Christ. Right? He's writing to Jew and Gentile. Um, and so to rightly divide this, you have to ask, what is believed? Right? Abraham believed that he would have a seed and that many nations would come from him and be blessed. Right? And that's taught in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. But later, God required something of him to test him. Right? And so if Abraham truly believed that he was going to be a blessing to many nations, he's going to do what God says, right? He's not trusting in the finished work of Christ for his salvation, right? He's simply believing what God is saying, and God changed what he said to Abraham through Abraham's life, right? It's, I'm going to bless you and show you a land. He shows him the land. He says, I'm going to give you a seed. Then he says, I'm going to give you a seed through Sarah, right? And you have to do circumcision now. Then he says, well, I want you to kill your son, right? These are things that God is... Uh, telling Abraham through his life, right? So God can do that with Abraham because Abraham wasn't trusting in the finished work, right? God can't do that with us today and say, 
trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and then later come back and say, well, no longer trust in that, trust in your works. Right? That would be contradicting information for us. This isn't contradiction. Right? Abraham can still believe he's going to have a seed and crucify or sacrifice his son, believing God can raise him from the dead, right? which is what Hebrews 11 says. Uh, so it's rightly divided by seeing what they believed. James believed that Jesus was the Christ that fulfilled the prophecies, right? Um, and you learn that in John 20, right? John says he wrote the book uh, that we can believe Jesus was the Son of God and have life through his name. And then Matthew 28, Jesus told the 12 apostles to teach them to do and observe all things that I've commanded you. And part of those commandments was, again, you have to have righteousness if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. So James is teaching, yeah, you can't just believe in one God, you have to believe in Christ. Right? And you have to keep his commandments if you want to be saved, or if you want to be justified. If you want to get into that kingdom, you have to endure to the end. Right? You have to keep uh, the works. Paul believed that Jesus Christ was crucified, uh, that he died for your sins and resurrected, that you might have eternal life. Right? You see that at the end of Romans 4. Paul's conclusion is that you can be justified by faith because your faith is in Christ's death and resurrection. Right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, the gospel he preached that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and resurrected. Um, it's important to point out that nowhere in James' epistle does he mention the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? Because that's not what he was preaching uh, for salvation. Again, he's writing to the Jews about keeping their covenant. Right? Uh, so again, it's different than what Paul was saying. James was ignorant of Paul's message. Uh, today, our faith is not simply in a promise like Abraham's was. Right? Our faith is not in a covenant where if we do certain things, God will bless us. Our faith is in the finished cross work of Christ. Right? And we trust in that for salvation. Christ did all the work necessary. So in a sense, you could say, yeah, faith without works is dead. But it's not our works today. It's Christ's work. Right? He already did the work. So if someone says, show me your faith uh, without your works, I'll say, okay, look at Jesus. He did the work. Because I'm not going to show you my works, I'm going to show you his work, right? Uh, so you can see that difference there. Uh, but the conclusion from Paul is in Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God, right? So nowhere do you see Paul ever say we're justified by faith and works, right? Uh, so with that said, any thoughts or questions?